0: Welcome to the Humane Roundup Podcast, where we share all the exciting stories about animal cruelty investigations, dangerous animals, and amazing rescues. Find out what goes on inside of animal shelters and all the current trends in the animal welfare industry. Now, here is your host, Daniel Edinger. Yo, yo, it's Daniel Ettinger. That's what he said? What about Ashley Bishop? What's going on?
1: Hello!
0: Welcome to episode 66. Sixty six.
1: It is 66. It really
0: would be 67. I'm probably going to say that all year until, you know, until it gets old. But thank you, Hildy, for that.
1: <laughs> just want to make
0: sure he's listening, too. So check it out. It's episode 66. Last week, we talked about the 23 different names that are used to define the animal protection officer, animal control officer, humane officer, etc., I got a new name. Dog
1: warden officer.
0: Yeah, I got a new name for that list. I don't know if you saw it. It popped up in our group on Facebook. And that is Humane Special Deputy.
1: Oh, no, I missed that one.
0: Yep. So make it 24 now to define our single profession. It's, It's quite interesting. And as we you know, discuss that. We have a special guest today that we're going to jump into here in a few minutes, but uh, with the KC Pet Project. So I'm excited to find out what they call their field services team.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, then you've got like, oh, shoot, they changed it from the field investigation unit or the field investigation for the ASPCA, they had a different one too, but
0: oh, interesting. Because we were
1: the we were the fur team, but I know they changed it, and I don't remember what they changed it to.
0: Well, they recently, yeah, they 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 and HSUS recently changed some names too. They had like the animal, I forget. What, they have an animal sheltering magazine, and I think the website yep. was animalsheltering.org. And it's now Humane Pro, so even they are keeping it humane name. <laughs> So that's what we like to see. So remember to check out our Facebook page. That is the Humane Roundup. There's also a Humane Roundup group, private, that is on Facebook. So please check that out. Don't forget to check out H O Bishop on Facebook. <laughs> is it H O Bishop on Instagram as well?
1: That's a good question.
0: <laughs> okay, well it could be H O Bishop on.
1: Oh look, great now.
0: <laughs> and that is Humane Officer Bishop, and then. My Facebook and Instagram page is Animal Protection Officer Daniel. So check those out. Give us a like, share anything on there, message us if you have questions. Don't forget to check out our website, roundup.com. Our anonymous link is up there if you want to send us some messages. So it's uh, we're all oh, digital. No.
1: It's ashley.bishop1. Okay. I don't even know how that got put in there like that.
0: There's probably another Ashley Bishop.
1: Yeah, but I don't know how. I, can you change your name on? I'll figure that out later. Yeah,
0: let's let's do that off there. How about that? So, just really quick, uh, we talked about the tw- now twenty four names to define our profession last week. If you haven't checked out that episode, please go back and check out check out episode sixty five. And just Get a, our argument. Well, there's going to be an argument every every episode. <laughs> but the. So now we have, just I want to cover really quickly, and we'll get into this in some later episodes. So I work for the Department of Public Health and Environment. You work for the?
1: Police Department.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm excited to find out what the Casey Pet Project works under, if they're just their own umbrella. So that we'll find out here shortly when they come on. And other agencies I know specifically might work under the umbrella of Neighborhood Services. So that could be like code enforcement. And I don't know what else would be under neighborhood services, but animal protection. There might be a humane society that an animal protection agency works under. What else is there?
1: Uh, Some people don't work under anybody other than they're, like they're contracted with their local government, but they don't really answer to anybody here in Wisconsin. Like they run their own thing.
0: So you have that and then you have, probably just a standalone agency that's part of the municipality, right? So just like there's an EMS, there's fire, right? They they all report directly to probably their their mayor or their county commissioners or their, you know, city council board, that type of stuff. I would I'd be curious to see what some of the agencies out there report under. So if you're listening and we didn't mention kind of your umbrella, please shoot us a message, let us know who you report uh, to or or what, I guess, what umbrella you're under.
1: For sure. All
0: right, so let's get into it, I think. You ready? I'm ready. All right, let's go ahead and introduce our next guest. This is Tori Fugate with the KC Pet Project. She is the Chief Communications Officer. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I hope Thanks. you uh,
0: could withstand our intro there. It gets a little crazy <laughs> at times
2: so uh the terminology of everything in our industry seems to be shifting right now but there's always so many terms out there so it's uh, very interesting that i love that you went through all of those and and studied all of them that's awesome thank you i was gonna say check out last
1: episode and you'll see all of them being list we talk about each one that was listed so it's insane some of them you look at them and go huh
2: (laughs) it is pretty crazy
0: We didn't count uh, the dog whipper, which was prior to pretty much any animal protection establishment in the, you know, 17, 1800s. It was was known as kind of, we talked about it last week, but it was, that was kind of the beginning of our profession. So I'm glad we're not using that anymore.
2: It's probably a good thing.
0: (laughs) I have to ask you with the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, who are you rooting for?
2: Well, oh, gee, I wonder. Um, the whole town is going crazy for the Chiefs right now, of course.
0: <laughs> well, good luck to you. And last year, didn't a player donate or purchase all the adoptions? or How did that work?
2: Oh, yeah. We partner with Derek Noddy. Um, he is a Chiefs player here. And um, only on his third season, I think, with the Chiefs, a young guy. Uh, reached out to us years ago and said, you know, I really want to work with you. I love dogs. And he has two pit bulls at home. Um, And so he sponsors every or after every Chiefs win, he sponsors a dog adoption at the shelter. Um, And then last year, when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, he sponsored all of the dogs in the shelter. So 109 dogs all were covered um, by Derek and his incredible generosity. And so um, yeah, we're you know we're chatting with this team, seeing what you know will happen at the uh, at the end of this season. So hopefully they win again.
0: Well, if if it means me rooting for the Chiefs to get 109 dogs out of the shelter, I'll go for it this year. So that's good stuff. You,
2: you have to love Patrick Mahomes, no matter who you are. Like,
0: I mean, that's a personal opinion. He seems like <laughs> a really nice kid. Uh, but He's very. I, you
2: know. Yeah.
0: Well, good luck to your Chiefs. I hope I hope you have a great time watching the game on Sunday. So let's hear a little bit about what you do with the KC Pet Project and maybe just some information on what the KC Pet Project is.
2: Sure. So we are in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, we are the municipal shelter for the city of Kansas City, Missouri, but it's an interesting scenario that we're a public-private partnership with the city of Kansas City. So we are a nonprofit organization that runs the sheltering services for the city of Kansas City, Missouri. We have been doing this now since January 1st, 2012, and we started um, in a nearly 50-year-old shed of a building that was uh, near where the Kansas City Chiefs play in Kansas City. Um, It was actually constructed to hold all of the equipment that was used to build Arrowhead Stadium. Wow. Where the Chiefs play. And when they got done building that, they were like, well, why don't we turn it into an animal shelter? So it was, you know, formally built as one of the, makes total sense. I was gonna was, say, that's,
1: that's like a, a line you'd go on, right?
2: <laughs> true, it's true. So, I mean, you can imagine what it was like. It was 14,000 square feet, all of the animals in one room. It was built as that traditional sort of catch and kill facility where all the animals were just brought into the shelter. And if they weren't reclaimed or adopted or anything like that, um, then they were euthanized. And as early as 2008, it was about 70% of all the animals that were coming in were euthanized. So you said 70%? Yeah, 70% in
0: 2008.
2: So understandably the city of kansas city missouri was like we would very much like to see something different in our city and so they spoke up and when the city put out an rfp for someone else to run the shelter other than the city nobody bid on it everybody was like it's too hard it's too many animals um taking in about you know six to seven thousand animals a year uh there it's too old it just can't do it um so our group was formed by a very small group of animal welfare advocates. And they said, you know, we can do better than 70. So they put together an RFP in about a month. It was accepted in October and of 2011. And on January 1st, they gave us the keys and said, good luck. <laughs> so it was about 23 staff members in the beginning. I came in in March of 2012 and have been with the organization ever since. And um, we have really built up up into... A, you know, a very progressive, nationally known organization doing amazing things despite this facility that we were in, um, and we worked really, really hard in in that old shelter just to, you know, save as many lives as we could. And we were we were already over ninety percent within six months of taking on the shelter, so we now take in around ten to eleven thousand animals a year. So those numbers just continue to rise. Um, But we did open our KC campus for animal care on January 1st last year um, so that's a brand brand new facility that we were able to get through a bond initiative here in Kansas City. um, And the voters went out and voted overwhelmingly in favor of having a beautiful new facility. So we're now in that in that campus, um, which has made life so much easier, especially during the past year, during the pandemic. It's
0: Um, so new that Google Maps doesn't even have it. I'm looking at just blank land. Uh, I was curious what it looked like from a, you know, overhead view. And it's so brand new that all I see is kind of an empty lot. So it's pretty cool.
2: Yep. It's uh it's in an old, very old park here in Kansas city. We're right down the street from the zoo and across the street from where all the wildlife go for Kansas city. So it's really been great to sort of be able to partner with all of the animal welfare organizations in Kansas city. Um, and we worked super hard on that campaign to get it passed and then I was fortunate enough to be on the design team and construction team of that shelter. Um, and we went around to um, all sorts of uh, shelters around the, around the United States, including Denver. Um, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> I got to tour them all and, and learn from what, what they loved about their facilities. And we really brought all of that knowledge back to Kansas City. And now we have one of the most state-of-the-art, beautiful campuses.
0: That's awesome. What was your not including your own, but what was your favorite shelter that you visited during that tour?
2: Uh, I really enjoyed. Oh goodness, I didn't get Even to you go. You don't
1: need to fish for compliments. Yeah. No, Denver Denver was
0: you know it, it was state of the art in 2011, but there's been a lot of improvements over the years. The yeah. one, the one in Larimer <laughs> County for Fort Collins uh, is pretty. Yeah, new. this they was have
2: 2017. Finished. Um, yeah. so. I didn't get to go to Denver, but I did get to go to Miami's shelter, which was
0: amazing. I would imagine they have like beachfront kennels that they just open up (laughs) and the dogs can like run on the beach through a guillotine door and like get. Yeah, not quite. Whatever. I
1: I actually got to, with one of my deployments with the ASPCA, we were stationed through the Miami Dade shelter. Was it the Miami Dade shelter?
2: Yeah. It's an old post office building that they converted into this. Incredible facility. It, it is. Yeah. It is phenomenal there.
0: That's awesome. So is that that would be your favorite Miami date?
2: That was uh, yeah, that was one of my favorites. Um that I mean I went to, we went to Austin, we went to several in Florida, because anywhere where there was a conference, we were like, all right, let's go look at shelter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so but then, yeah, in December of this year, we added a brand new function, which I know you'll want to talk about today, and that was our animal services division. So we officially yeah. assumed the contract for animal control in December.
0: So before we jump into that, because that's absolutely uh, one of the reasons we have you on, and you might have mentioned it, and if you did, I apologize. So the, in, you mentioned the live release rate was 30% when you kind of took over. Where is it at now?
2: We uh, ended 2020 with almost a 96 percent save That's rate. Amazing. So, yeah, so, and that noses in, noses out. So, so is that through
0: not only adoptions, foster care, and or transfers, or is that all re- RTO, like return to owner? How how are we get into that number?
2: Uh, mainly, we did. S- 7,000 over, oh, actually almost 8,000 adoptions last year. So um, adopting a pet during the pandemic was definitely a very popular activity <laughs> in Kansas City. We cannot keep pets in their kennels. Like Our length of stay has decreased dramatically over the past year. Um, we had a huge interest in fostering. We ended up sending some pets into foster homes last year. And at any given time, almost 60% of our animals are living in foster homes. Um, So that has been, you know, we sort of rode that wave in the beginning of the pandemic, but really that that interest has not waned at all of people wanting to foster. Um, We do a few transfer outs a year, like, you know, about 500 probably, Um, but mainly it's through, yeah, adoptions and return to owner, and um, we're really trying to ramp up our lost and found efforts, and that's where animal services comes in um, in a huge way so we're really trying to advance that um, working very closely with um, several national organizations to start some new programs and things like that in our shelter so that's going to be a huge um, huge focus for us in 2021 is lost and found
0: well let's talk about the animal services is that the title that they have
2: it is yes it's our animal services division so that's our official title
0: okay (laughs) so what was I guess? What was the deciding factor? I know there was a, a basically an audit done uh, recently on their kind of on their calls or you know their just operations. I sh- should say, mm-hmm. but what was the leading decision on taking over that? How did that come to a head?
2: Yeah, the audit happened in two thousand seventeen, and what it found was wasn't a surprise really that there was no shared vision between sheltering services and animal control in Kansas City. Um, over two thirds of all of the cruelty cases were never reclaimed from the shelter that were coming in. So people were just having their animals taken away from them, and then they weren't coming for them. So that just put this huge burden on the shelter to find homes for all these animals that probably went back home with their owners if they had, you know, the right resources and things like that. Um, and just it, they sort of, you know, highlighted the fact that animal control services in Kansas City weren't considered best practices. They were sort of the old school, you know, bring pets into the shelter, don't really work with the community um, and, you know, take give tickets to ladies that are feeding outdoor cats, you know, things like that. So the city put out an RFP. um, And again, there was a lot of public outcry of of the public wanting something different uh, for Kansas City. So the city put out an RFP. And again, we were the only organization that on it. Um, And we submitted that in January of 2018. So it's taken a little while to get to this point. Um, We went through rounds of interviews and presentations to our city council members, and um, we were um, awarded the contract, well, you know, to start the contract negotiations a, a little over a year and a half ago. And then it took about a year to get the contract done um in kansas city and then we um had a about a three-month transition period where we worked with um members of the uh, best friends including scott chiacopo um who was absolutely phenomenal to work with on the transition um, process and then local experts in, in kansas city in law enforcement and animal services so we uh geared up with the city and worked through that transition period and then on december 1st we officially assumed the contract with a brand new staff um, we hired our new chief of animal services april moore uh, from texas and she has been phenomenal um, to bring on our team and her vision of community services and what the committee means um, and she's instilled all of that into our new officers and most of them are, are new to animal welfare themselves
0: Interesting. So, and I know we, you and I talked offline a little bit about some of the the social private groups that we have in social media, and there was some, there was definitely some shock. There was some probably uh, frustration and anger from maybe some of the prior employees there, or people that just felt like, here we go again with some, uh, you could say like humane. You know, no kill movement coming in, taking over an enforcement agency. That's that's kind of the gist that I got. And yeah. we I guess, the, the first question I have: Were I, I would imagine everyone had an opportunity to reapply for their job.
2: They did. Yes, every single officer had the opportunity to interview and um, express their interest in working for us. Um, only one um, was uh brought on our team, and he actually um ended up um leaving before we uh, ended up launching our program so um we really didn't have a lot of interest from the former officers, and they were all um given jobs within the city that were at a similar um sort of similar um, you know
0: now, yeah similar yeah. so when i when I started in this industry and and I can't speak for any of the officers, I don't know anyone that worked for the department prior to the Casey pet project starting or taking over. So I I can't speak to any of that. What I can speak to is my own experiences. And when I started in this industry, you know, there, there were a lot of people that were in the profession because you didn't need much. You didn't need to have a college degree at that time. It was a city job. You got a, a pension. You had great benefits. If you, you know, if you have a family, it's great for that as well. I found over the the years now that a lot of people do this job because they have a passion. And I'm not saying these people that I met and started with didn't necessarily maybe find a passion once they got into it, but when they started, they didn't really start because they had a passion. They started because it was a good paying city job. And what that did is created an environment of in my opinion some of where the dog catcher images come from, right? And so you have people that are less empathetic. You have people that, you know, don't necessarily do the job or 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 maybe take this approach of i have power and control because i'm an officer right you have to obey what i do or or if i write you a ticket i you know i feel better about myself whatever it may be and that has that mm-hmm. shift has or that change has shifted whatever the word is i'm looking for <laughs> i don't know if you had a chance to read an article that was recently published in the humane pro animal sheltering magazine about taking care i highly recommend checking that out there's a few of us that were interviewed regarding how the industry has shifted and, and kind of what the approach should be. And so back to my experiences, and I, I was told a uh, similar something that we used to do and, and something that I was told that happened in KC would be, you know, let's say I'm out and I do pick up a stray running at large and somebody runs over to my truck at the time it would have been a van and said, Hey, uh, this is my dog, like showing me a picture on my phone, on their phone. Can I, is there a way mm-hmm. I can have my dog back? And K C would be like, nah, or you can come down to the shelter tomorrow, pay fees and get it out. And that, Absolutely. you know, what? that a is poor customer service, just in general, but B then it, you know, it, it costs people money to get the animal out and that could lead to more animals just being left in the shelter. And so, you know, I'm not here to, to really, I really want to take a neutral approach to this because being an officer, I have to take their side in the sense of like, well, I'm an officer, but then I have to take the Casey pet project side in a sense to be like, let's make this more of a, you know, 2021 or 2022, whatever a futuristic program where we're offering return to owners in the field where, you know, we're providing great customer service where we want to see these animals back in homes. If we can, if we can make that happen. So, you know, it's a, it's it's rough and you know to the people that that used to work in that industry they had an opportunity to reapply for their job and like you mentioned only one of them did
2: yeah and i think there was a lot of misconception especially like when we started they're like they're never going to pick up strays they're going to let all the strays run loose cuz they don't want any animals coming into the shelter got it well when we pulled, when we pulled our calls for december our first month um we had over a 1,000 calls for service, that is actual calls that that people were going out on um, from the shelter, and almost half of them were stray calls. So it was like, okay, no, we are responding to stray stray calls, um, trying our best to locate stray roaming animals. Um, And then we were actually able to reunite 19% of all of the stray dogs that we found, uh, our cats, out in the field for the first month. Um, so That's great. And that 0% in November. So already we're seeing, you know, <laughs> the, um, the increase of animals being able to be reunited. Um, and we even, you know, we, we even took animals back home that had already got to the shelter, but we were like, Oh, wait, this is your dog. Okay. We'll just drive it back up to your house. And, you know, we had a family, They took a dog home. It was late at night, like on a Sunday. And the family was like waiting outside. They gave us a donation. They were just so appreciative that our officers just drove the dog right back (laughs) to their house. And they didn't have to go anywhere. They didn't have to pay fees or anything like that. So really having that community focus was important to us. And when we were hiring, you mentioned, you know, the, the former way of hiring this, this used to be considered like an entry-level job into city sure. work. You know, we wanted that city pension and, you know, the great benefits and everything like that. This was a great place to start. So when we were hiring our officers, you know, we really wanted to have people on our team that were not only interested in animals and helping animals, but also people. They wanted, we wanted a team that reflected the community that we were serving, that knew the community that they were serving, and that would work with everyone and be able to provide resources to people when they need it. And they wouldn't come at it in a way that's like, oh gosh, you have a dog on a, on a tie. And it's, you know, you know, it's not, doesn't have proper shelter. They approach things instead saying, hey, you know, we are here to help. Is there anything that you need to be successful with your pet? And so they're really coming at it with this very community engagement approach And not coming at it like, oh, we're here to take your dog away from you because you don't have a doghouse, you know, things like that. So um, the more resources that we have, we're working with even like Eagle Scouts and Boy Scouts to build as many dog houses as we can for their projects. um, And working with local Girl Scout troops to build feral cat houses. I mean, we're doing all sorts of stuff. So that way we can just go out and hand out resources to people when they need it, especially during these winter months.
0: That's fantastic. So. Talk to me really quick about it. the Casey Pet Project in general. It's a nonprofit, and so this is a contract that was awarded to the Casey Pet Project to take over the animal services function.
2: Yes, it was. Um, it was a contract um, that we yeah we negotiated um, for the past year, and so it is separate from the shelter, but it still we're very much one mission, one team. Um, so yeah, we've been uh, negotiating that contract for for a little while now, um, but we're doing all all of the contract um, obligations that the city was doing, um, and we're out in the field every day, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and we launched and you know a new dispatch um, team that they're doing amazing work. the dispatch <laughs> the dispatchers like the unsung heroes of the animal control. <laughs> Division, they're absolutely incredible. And then we also launched at the same time at the Helpline. So we have our, our shelter staff that are working to take all of the calls that are coming in. And we've answered more than 3,600 calls in the first two months. Wow. Um, just people call in through, three, they can still dial 311 to get to us. Um, we worked with the city on a, on a way that they could still dial that for ease of communication. Um, And so we have a pet helpline that's able to sort of be the first person that they talk to. So if they just have questions about, you know, I found kittens under my porch or there's a dog roaming in my neighborhood, what can I do? They can actually talk to our pet helpline first. And then um, if they need to be um, transferred over to dispatch for an officer to be dispatched out, they can do that. So that's been a real great thing to start at the same time. Um, we didn't expect the massive call volume that we would have in the first couple of months, but they have been handling it like champions. They've just been absolutely amazing. Um, how, many,
0: how many field service officers do you have?
2: We have, I believe it's 18 now. We're we're still hiring, we're looking for bilingual animal services officers. Um, and we are still interviewing for a few more officer positions, but we do have we have our chief of animal services, we have two supervisors. Um, that both were um, animal control officers for other communities in, in the metro area. They were managers of those departments and they came to work for us. Uh, and then we have 18 officers, five dispatchers, and then we have a cruelty investigator and um, compliance officer.
0: So what's your- pop- Thank you, yeah, go
2: ahead. Sorry,
1: I was gonna say, what, what is, what's the population of people that you serve with
2: that? Yeah, sure. it's about half a million. Um, and Kansas City is very large. We have, um, <clears throat> you know, a, a huge um, area to cover. And so we're, we're even tracking um, all of our calls by council districts so that we can see um, and do heat maps of where most of the animals are coming from. Um, so we noticed already that, you know, in the north part of Kansas City, we don't have as many calls for service, but really close to where we are at the shelter is where we're seeing a lot of our calls coming from. So that way we can go to our city and say hey this is the data that we're looking at we love data at KC pet project can't get enough of it this is the data that we're looking at and these are the resources that we think um these um, areas need um, to be more successful and to you know we're really going to target um you know microchip uh, and tag clinics in in these areas resources being able to hand out resources to people if they need it um and hopefully eventually we'll be able to offer public veterinary services as well. But that's, that's a uh, table for another time. <laughs> so you,
0: you said you were ha- uh, interviewing for a few bilingual officers in total. How many field officers would there be?
2: Um, Including managers. Uh, we, we always estimated there would be about 22. Okay. Field
0: Great. And then let, I want to get into some of the, I, I don't know, some of the topics that, that are, maybe part of my soapbox. So it looks like when I look at some of the photos, none of the officers wear a badge. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. We really wanted our officers to have um, a more, they look, they look official, but they're not, um, they don't look like law enforcement, um, you know? And so we wanted, they have, um, they're wearing black, um, sweatshirts that say, you know, Casey Pet Project on them, they wear a high vis jacket. Um, and then they, you know, have the tactical pants and things like that. Um, the former animal control officers, you know, they would, they, a lot of them had bulletproof vests. Um, so we really just tried to have more of a I don't, I don't know what the best word is, delicate approach um, into um, going out and serving the community. And what we've found is that a lot of people still, um, whenever our officers are approaching, they sort of are already put their guard up a little bit. But as soon as like our officers start talking to them, they're like, okay, no, you're you're not here to like take my dog away so, or give me a yeah, that's
0: or anything. That's, like that. the, that's the thing. We talked about it on the last episode with part of the name is, I, I feel a lot of agencies dumb down their officers Command presence, and over the past few years, just just in a a sense, there were more attack on law enforcement officers, and they didn't want officers looking the part. Even though I think it's very necessary, and we'll get to that here in a second. Why I think that, and what you said though resonates with me. It's it's not about the dress, in a sense. So they could be in full, you know, uniform with a badge. It's about how you talk to people, right? It's about how you approach people. If someone rolled up in a Tom Brady jersey this week. I'm sure people would be put off by it until that officer put out, you know, opened up their mouth and started talking and, and spoke with respect, right? So I, I think. Yeah. That's you the, see the
2: already. So there's a truck, you know, with lights on it yeah. and everything like, so they're already like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> so
0: I, I think I, we wanna hear more from people that have uh, worn a full uniform and badge and then have had to dress down due to department, due to, the, due to their department standards and see if that's had any effect on the job Uh, because it's interesting. I I feel as I look at your website, you know, it it looks like there were quite a few calls for cruelty and neglect of investigations in December. And, you you know, how is that enforced? So are there, you mentioned, and I'm a full supportive person when it comes to outreach and education and providing resources, but I'm also someone that feels there are times where tickets must be issued. Are they, Issuing summonses or how is that done?
2: Yes, they are. Um, They're able to issue right citations and um, do everything that the city was doing. In most cases that we went out on cruelty and neglect, it was a lack of resources that we saw. So it was no food, water, shelter, you know, things like that. And so what they observed in most cases was that, you know, they had, you know, a, a proper top, but they didn't have a doghouse. So what they would, what they try to do is really come out and say like, hi, you know, I'm AC Pet Project and I'm here just to, um, you know, see, we had a call about your animal, just here to see how they're doing. Do you need anything from us? You know, we're here to help. And what they'll do is, you know, do a follow-up visit in, you know, a week or two and see, um, they leave a door hanger with all of our information. We do have people that are calling us on those and saying, you know, I really do need some food or things like that. So then, our officers are able to go back, and if they, if there are, you know, significant signs of cruelty, of course, they take investigative action with that. Um, but in most cases, it was a lack of resources um, was the reason that those um, calls were made, and also, you know, the the Kansas City Animal Control Division before we took over was down. They didn't have; they had only around five officers, so there was this huge wow. vacuum of of calls and they weren't responding to any stray calls or anything like that. So I think once December hit, and it was in the media everywhere that we were now doing animal services. That's why we saw the huge uptick in calls. And so I think a so lot of people were sort of just waiting until the day we took over, and then they. You went us. from
0: five field officers to eighteen.
2: Yes, we wow. did. Um, and we had 18 officers who didn't have any field experience when we took over. So it was a lot of, um, you know, they were with, paired with managers, paired with other um, people who had been animal services officers. And so there was a lot, especially in those first two weeks of, you know, in the field training. Um, and it was, it was pretty wild month for us, but you
0: You, know, Yeah, you mentioned the, uh, so we wear ballistic vests that is actually optional. But I I wear it. Uh, I do talk a lot of stuff in the field. So I think it's better that I have a bulletproof vest. Is that something that is provided for your officers?
2: So what we've tried to do is um, develop a really great relationship with Kansas City Police Department. Um, We started that out right in the beginning. In fact, they were able to provide an all-day training for our officers at their academy, which was just this incredible opportunity. I even got to go to it. Um, where we talked a lot about just the whole community policing model, how to deescalate any situations um, and then personal safety, things like that, um, writing citations. That was part of the day that was covered. Um, and so we're really trying hard to develop this relationship with them so that, um, you know, we're able to call them if needed um, anytime that we need them. And so they, um, they're able to go with us and assist us if there's ever a situation where our officers don't feel safe. But for but the most part, I'm going to jump yeah. in really
0: quick because that you can't predict that, right? So here's the issue that I have: is you can go into a call that may seem like your normal, average, everyday call, not needing police, and that's when someone gets shot, right? And so letting our guard down in that sense is is very dangerous. And I know there's plenty of grants out there. If it's a financial thing, if it's not a financial thing is this more of the just delicate approach that the KC Pet project wants to take they don't want officers to wear them
2: um we really i think if they feel the need to wear them then that's something that we can absolutely explore what we've tried to do is train them to um, recognize that if there's a situation to get out mm-hmm. immediately so that's, um, that's
0: what i'm saying from and i don't know if you've ever done field work it's it's unpredictable and there's a huge movement currently across the the country uh, for for ballistic vest awareness. So like having, if you can't afford it, having one provided through a grant, uh, there's a few people offering those grants right now. I believe Code 3 Associates and NACA has some grant options available. So I, it just, it worries me and, and I'll be honest, you know, I I don't want this to, to become a situation on the show where you're like, well, he brought me on and now he's, you know, he's asking these hard questions. But what I hear is, I hear inexperienced officers that never have done the job before, not having the proper self-defense tools. If something were to go, I I would hate to see something bad happen. Do they have anything? uh, Do they have anything to protect themselves? Do they get to carry a bite stick or OC spray? Yeah, yeah, they
2: have. They have um, some of that equipment. Yes, to be able to protect themselves if needed. So, Um, and um, oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's
0: that's good. I'm, I'm glad they have uh, some of that. I'm sure they've gone through the training as well.
2: Yeah. And, you know, for us, it's really about building up trust and um, going out in the community and just talking with residents, going up and down the street. Um, we One of the first things that our officers did was take out stray pet flyers of dogs that were in the shelter that we didn't have an owner for, and they went to where those pets were found, and they just went door to door and said, does anybody know this animal? Um, They handed out um, dog food, they handed out candy for people and just going door to door and just getting to know um, everyone that they can. What we're trying to do is have our officers work in the same area so they get um, familiarized by the community. And they're going to neighborhood meetings and just doing that same thing, just walking up and down the street saying, Hi, I'm, you know, Officer Sims and I'm here, you know, with animal services. And for a lot of the officers, they're working in areas where they live, too. So they know the community very well and have already worked to build a rapport with everyone. So that's going to be really critical to our success is just really having our officers be well known to everyone in the community
0: i see i i get it I, I just think it it can be it can backfire too so i just want to make sure that safety is you know it, it's important and uh, I, I completely i completely agree yeah. with being assigned to a specific district and building that rapport i think that's a great approach to have uh, i really like that you know just dealing with animals it just gets so contentious in some aspects because it's people it's their family. Right. And so if there's ever a situation totally. where someone has to impound an animal uh, for let's yeah. say a cruelty and neglect situation, and then that individual sees them at the grocery store and uh, it just, it can be very, very messy. So yeah, um, yeah we
2: take I, our officers yeah. very, very seriously. And thankfully we have amazing leadership who have been doing this a very, very long time um, who have um, been, you know, paramount to our officers training success and really helping them with public safety um, and talking through them and doing training and things like that so um, that has been that's been very important to us
0: good that's really good is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to make sure we cover today
2: um i don't know for us you know we're really focused on transparency um, we love to be able to share the data and the work that our team is doing. So um, we talked a little bit offline about, you know, on our website we've already posted, um, you know, our Animal Services report for December. Um, we want to keep on continuing with being able to share the data um, as we, it comes in on a monthly basis. This is also very important for our city and our city leaders to see the, the work that our team is doing. And that's um,
0: CaseyPetProject.org, correct?
2: Correct, yes. Um, And so, and even like on our animal services piece of our website, we're just going to continue to add all the resources um, that anybody would need. So if they have questions about what to do with an animal that they've found or anything like that, um, they can go to our website and find out all that information. Um, As we continue through the pandemic, you know, our focus has not only just been about finding animals for homes or finding homes for animals, there we go, in the shelter, Um, but also really developing our people programs as well. So we have a lot of people who are coming to us right now that are having to give up their pets for a number of reasons, housing insecurity, uh, financial issues, maybe their families in the hospital with COVID. And so we have really tried to ramp up programs to help keep families together, including temporary fostering of owned pets. Um, And we're seeing already that the need far outweighs um, the resources that we have. So we've been really reaching out to our community and letting them know how they can help. So for us, uh, the success of our program is based on um, transparency and we want to be able to build that trust with our community in both animal services and the shelter.
0: Cool. Well, it sounds like you're doing great work and it's just the beginning stages. If there's anything that we can do as the Humane Roundup, we're more than happy to help. If there's anything I could do personally, just from, you know, whether it's training or, or offering any suggestions, I'd be happy to help. And, you know, I, I really uh, I found, a you know, this is my passion. I love this profession. And uh, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we're able to to help with everyone in the community move forward.
2: Yeah. I really, really appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for having me on today to talk about our program. Um, yeah. You're you going know, to have to
0: tune in, tune in next week, a little tease for you. We're going to have a guest that you may know from best friends. Brett Tolner is coming on. Yeah. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure you know him. So uh, we're, know we're
2: <laughs>
0: excited to have that uh, that to, that next week. So.
1: Well, and maybe right. in in a year or so, once you guys have got, you know, full year under your belt, come on again and kind of give us an update too on how things have continued to go for you guys.
2: Yeah, I would love this program. Yeah, I would love that. We we have already seen such a positive reaction um, to in Kansas City. And so I'm looking forward to continuing on that and building up our program and so it's, a, it's an exciting time for our organization. We're just growing like crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, and to think you're only two months in. So that'd be great to have you back on in a year. And if any of your your field team wants to join us at some point, just reach out. We'll get them on and continue to, to help build.
2: Absolutely. I will let them know. So thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for joining us.
2: All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's pretty cool, Bishop.
1: Yeah. That I mean, that's that's a lot of work to be starting from basically the ground up, it sounds like like. So and I mean, to some degree, I can resonate with that because, you know, I I was the first humane officer for my area and things like that. So I've had to do a lot of that, but I've got a much smaller area (laughs) to be working with. Yeah, it sounds
0: Um, like they have a huge area. I I love the fact that they have 18 officers for only 500,000 people. That's a good number. A lot of agencies are staffed a lot lower than that. So they're definitely doing their job getting the right amount of people in there to uh, handle the calls for service in their areas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know I could use, you know, usually at least one more.
0: (laughs) Totally. Well, that'll wrap up episode 66 uh, 66. <laughs> remember to check out our Facebook page, the Humane Roundup, our website humane roundup.com, and submit any questions you may have through through our email or our anonymous email or just message us on social 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 media. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, on the Humane Roundup, we're going to keep it humane. humane name.
1: Name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when I edited it last time, I tried to get this on sync and it didn't even work. So, <laughs> awesome.
1: yeah, whatever. It, it's character.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Humane Roundup podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch with us? Visit humaneroundup.com. Email us at humaneroundup at gmail.com. Text us or leave us a voicemail at 916-241-3464. Or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter
1: at Humane Roundup.